I grew up in a family that loves to play games. Are you all like that? And I'm not talking about the head games that some people play. I'm talking about playing games, board games, card games, Monopoly, um, Risk. Y'all know those games? Uh, Man, just playing it. We played Kick the Can. All right, so I'm like, what? Is that on, the, on my Nintendo or my Xbox? No. Kick the cans, a game you actually get outside and you exercise. You run around, okay? Y'all tracking with me? All right. Kick the can, flashlight tag, volleyball, basketball, on and on. We played games at my house. And my house was the place to hang out in. In fact, it was a place that was a lot of fun. There, there was nothing for the entire youth group of the church I grew up in to come over to our house and play games. And man, we love to play games. Anybody here today, you love to play games. Can I see your hands today? All right. Well, the, the, the great thing about that is it builds a lot of uh, relationships. You get the opportunity to kind of spend some time with people rather than sitting for two and a half hours watching a movie. All right? You, you talk. You dialogue. You, and, and you talk a little trash. You talk a little smack. In, in fact, that's kind of one of the things that I reason, one of the reasons why I typically don't like to play games as much anymore is because of the fact that growing up, I learned how to talk trash. I learned how to talk smack. I grew up in a family that was very large, and we didn't mind being in one another's business all the time. And so because of that, I recognize that sometimes when I'm playing games, I am not reflecting the love and hope of Jesus Christ as well as I should. So I recognize I've got to be real careful with that, and I recognize I needed to to be careful. So there's basically two reasons why I don't do that anymore, and the first one is the trash talking. Um, I, I just recognized, in fact, one, one year for my family Christmas, one of my cousins decided that we were going to play Family Feud. Y'all seen that game, Family Feud? And it was going to be the Brown side of the family, my dad's side of the family, against the Millers, my mother's side of the family. It was extended family, probably about 25, 30 of us playing in the living room. And when we started Family Feud, a feud broke out. Bunch of trash talking, smack talking. In fact, my wife, we hadn't yet quite got married. We were engaged, about ready to be married a month or two. And I saw my wife sitting on the couch going, what am I about ready to get myself into? So we talked a lot of smack, so I really recognized I, I got to be careful with that. In fact, we decided next year we were going to change the game up. And so what we did is we sat one person in the middle of a circle, and we went around the room telling every, everyone told something that they loved about that person. And that's sweet. We were crying. We said, man, forget this. We're going back to Family Feud next year. <laughs> we don't know how to get in touch with this. So that's the first reason is just, man, sometimes I can get a little competitive. The second reason is, is when my boys were growing up, when they were, we would play games together, I very seldom, if ever, let them win. <laughs> I think it builds character in them. I don't care if they're two years old and we're playing basketball. If they're going to come down the middle of the lane, it's going back in their face. (laughs) Now, I know some of you, you're appalled because you're the people that like to get the participation trophy for everyone that shows up. Listen, I think that people need to understand there are winners and there are losers in games, right? (laughs) Don't judge me. Don't write emails to me today, this week, all right? But I recognize that while I was able to dominate when they were two and three years old, as they began to get a little bit older, the score started getting a little bit closer. They started being able to get closer to me all the time and getting closer to be equal. So I began to recognize, what am I going to do when I lose? I knew how to win, talk smack, talk trash, whatever. But I didn't recognize, really, 
what I was going to do when I was going to lose. So I did what any self-respecting former athlete who's getting older began to do. I retired. <laughs> Went out on top. I'm number one, right, in what I'm doing. So here's what, here's what I recognize. See, again, I knew what I was going to do when I was going to beat them. I just didn't know what I was going to do when I lost. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of us. We have a strategy for success. We make plans. We, we kind of know, okay, if I, if I save enough money, if, if I do these things in my life, we've got a strategy for success. The, the problem is, is we don't have a strategy for struggle. We really don't. We don't know what's going to happen when we struggle. Listen, and, and I think this is the way it is in a lot of our lives. Well, again, we make our plans, but we don't have this strategy for struggle. But you've got to recognize that life doesn't always go the way that you hope it's going to go. There are storms that seem to come out of nowhere, and suddenly you're going, what on earth is happening in my life right now? And we've got to develop a strategy for success. So this week and next week, this is part one, next week's going to be part two, I want to talk with you guys about a strategy for struggle. I want you to understand, I'm not talking about a strategy of having a negative attitude. I'm not talking about having a strategy of, okay, things are going to go bad, things are going to go horrible. I'm talking about when trouble happens, what are you going to do to walk through the trouble that's coming into your life? Listen, when challenges come, it's not ever an issue of if they're going to come. But when they come, what are you going to do? We spend a lot of time talking about the blessed and the favored life that God has for you. But if you think that life is going to be without struggle, you're going to get disillusioned about what it means to be blessed. You're, you're going to believe that you don't qualify for God's promises, and you're going to think that God has abandoned you. So I want to encourage you today to open up your heart and allow God to speak to you today. The words that I, I say may not come out exactly the way that I want to say them, but I want to tell you, if you'll open up your heart, God will speak a fresh word to your life today that will encourage you. Heard a preacher say once that the atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. So I believe that if you've come here today with an expecting heart, God is going to meet you at the level of your expectation. See, we can come in and we can critique things all day long. It's very easy for me as a lead pastor when I go to conferences, when I go to things that I'm, I'm kind of critiquing things. And if I critique the entire conference, I get nothing out of the conference. But if I go in and I'm thinking about a few things, but I'm really listening to the voice of God, it's amazing what God begins to speak to me. Things that are brand new a lot of times, but a lot of times they're things I already know that I just need to be reminded of. So I'm praying today that you're coming with a level of expectation. So what I'm saying is if, if, if you come expecting, God will speak to you. If you don't, he probably won't. He'll be speaking, you just won't hear him. And, and what that may sound like I'm saying is that my preaching isn't the problem, it's your level of expectation. So I'll just let you work that out amongst yourselves, what I'm actually saying there. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 37, Joseph has just interpreted Pharaoh's dream. I don't know if you know your, your, your Bible, if you know your Old Testament, and if you, you don't, one of the things I want to encourage you is get on a reading program to go through the Bible and read the, read the amazing stories of things that God did in the Old Testament. And, and in this story, Joseph has just interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 41, verse 37. 
He says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? The next verse goes on, and then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. What he is actually becoming is the prime minister. He has just come from the prison. He's now becoming the prime minister. He goes on to say, only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So I want to start off the series and I want to start off the message today by asking you a question. Do you have a strategy for struggle? Do you know what you're going to do when the storm comes? Do do you know what you're going to do when things don't go the way that you'd hoped they go? Do you know what you're going to do when things don't happen happen in the timing that you think they should happen? Because if you don't have a strategy for struggle, when the storm comes, let me remind you, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. If you don't have a strategy for the struggle, you will quit in the struggle. You'll quit. You'll bail out. You, you may still be present, but you've quit. You're present in the marriage, you're present at church, you're present in the relationship, but you've quit. See, it's possible to be physically there but not be present anymore. We see it all the time. You, you see it, you just may not have recognized it. That you're talking with your spouse and suddenly there's a disconnect, something's going on. Something has happened in your life and you're talking to them and they're just not there. They're physically still there, but they're not really present anymore. See, you're still doing things, but you've lost your passion for the thing that God has called you to. Whether it's a marriage or parenting or a friendship or a relationship, whatever it is. Because the storm will rip some things out of you if you don't have a strategy for the struggle. We, we planted this church 15 years ago. In fact, this year in the fall, we're going to be celebrating 15 years as a church, man. Awesome. Started with 11 people. And now look at what God's doing, and I'm telling you, it's all because of the grace of God. He does things in spite of me, not because of me. We planted this church 15 years ago, and just so you know, I never wanted to be a lead pastor. You can ask my wife. I never wanted to be the lead pastor. I never, let alone a church planner, but we felt God call us, so we planted this church. And we had incredibly high hopes. You know, we, we thought if we planted a church, Pam and I, we're so good looking, we're so talented. No amens in that spot. We're so talented. We're just, we're just such wonderful people. People are going to want to show up. I, I, in fact, I was thinking, man, the very first Sunday, people are going to be lined up around the building just waiting to get in. It's kind of the old uh, Field of Dreams thing. If you build it, they'll come. Y'all, y'all remember that, that movie? All right. But I was surprised how difficult the struggle was. I was surprised. And what I learned was that the struggle wasn't out there The struggle was in here. See, the struggle really wasn't out there. Now, yes, there were some things going wrong. There were some people that were doing some crazy things. You you ever just kind of want to ask yourself, don't do dumb things, please, anymore to people? You want to tell people? And that was just my staff. You know, let alone the church people that that were doing dumb things. And, And listen, honestly, the biggest struggle was in here. 
Because when it didn't go the way that I hoped it would go, or things didn't happen in the timing that I thought that they should, questions started popping up in my mind. Am I really called to this? God, are you really for me? God, are you against me? God, is, is this your will? Do, do you really want me to, to, to plant a church? I mean, I, I prayed about it. I felt like you called me to do this. And in the middle of the struggle, because it was in here, all these questions started popping up in my life. And the, the real struggle, again, was in here. This verse on Joseph doesn't seem to really fit with the direction of this message, with the struggle that we're, doing, that we're talking about today. Because it's easy for us to look at this passage and take a snapshot of Joseph's life. And this, if this is all that we knew about Joseph, we would say that he had it easy. He must have been born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And can I tell you, that happens in our lives with other people. We come to church, we see somebody that's running a successful business or something's going on, and we just think they've got it made. We think they go to work about 11, they're off by 1, they have an hour lunch break, things just happen naturally, and they're just blessed, and all they do all day long is just count their money that God's pouring into their life. And we don't recognize there's a struggle. See, most of us have either heard or know the story of Joseph's life. You know the struggle. But if you only read this passage of his life, you really don't understand Joseph's life. You don't really have context about some things. And context is king. Context of a verse, context of someone's life is king. But if you back up into Joseph's life just a little bit, we're going to see some storms and some challenges that he faced. And we're going to recognize that Joseph had to have a strategy for struggle if he's going to get where we're going to find him in chapter 41. And today we can look at his strategy and we can figure out in our own lives how to develop a strategy for struggle. And I want to say this again today to every one of us. You've got to understand, you have to walk out what God's calling you to. The blessing of the Lord is on you and chasing you down, but you're going to have to learn how to get in alignment with God and flow with God to see the blessings and favor show up in your life. So I want to look at his life this week and next week, and I want us to discover three keys to the strategy for struggle. Today we're only going to look at one, so you're going to need to come back next week. But we find Joseph in Genesis chapter 27, and his brothers want to kill him. Now as a brother, I can totally understand that. I had brothers that I wanted to kill, and I knew that my brothers from time to time wanted to kill me. But the reason why his brothers wanted to kill him is because his father had given him a coat of many colors. The favor of the father was upon him. So they ripped the coat off of him. Now, I want to say this. The favor wasn't on the coat. The favor was on Joseph. Because there are some things that have been ripped out of your life that you thought was all about the favor. Listen, the favor's not on the thing that got ripped out of your life. The favor is on you today. So they ripped the coat off of him, thinking that they're going to take something away from him. But who Joseph was is who Joseph was on the inside, not the coat, not the blessing of his father. So they ripped the coat off of him, and they throw him into a pit. Let me turn this just a little bit. Can you all hear that wind blowing gently? Y'all thought it was the Holy Spirit, but it was just that fan right up there. So they rip the coat off of him and they throw it into a pit. Listen, the pit moment in his life represents the first point to our strategy for the struggles that we're going to face, and that is submission. It's not a word we like to hear. In fact, it's a word that's got so many negative connotations that submission is doormat. Submission is less than. 
Submission is, I'm not able to do a lot of things that I'm supposed to do. But listen, when the storms of life blow up in your life, the first thing that you've got to do in the middle of the struggle is you've got to submit yourself to God. The storm comes up, God, I'm submitting my heart and life to you. Because listen, we like to quote the verse in James chapter 4 that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We're like, awesome, yeah, come on, devil. But we leave out the first part of that verse that said, submit yourselves then to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. The order is important. Let me say it again. The order is important. We begin, first of all, by submitting our hearts, submitting our lives to God, and then we resist the devil and he will flee. One of my biggest challenges that was a daily challenge that I used to have that that I am recovering from is the way that other people drive. My name is Richie Brown, and I'm on day 27 as a driveaholic. Most people don't know how to drive. Can I get a witness today? Now, I'm naturally more a, a more aggressive driver, meaning that when I, amen, <laughs> I got some amens finally, meaning when I get behind the wheel, I'm ready to get where I'm going, right? If I'm going to, to lunch, I'm ready to get there. If I'm going to a meeting, I'm ready to get there. If I'm going to see some friends, I'm ready to get there. I'm not out for a Sunday afternoon drive. Then I'm driving 10 miles under the speed limit in the fast lane, right? I'm, I'm a little bit more aggressive. Now, s- some of you, aggressive means that when you drive, you have to win. So if you're driving down Bell, our street right out here, and somebody's passing you and they put on their blinker, what do you do? You speed up, right? They're about ready to take your space. So you speed up. Or if you see somebody coming up behind you and you're in the fast lane and they go around you, what do you do? You speed up. Listen, driving works a lot better if we would just learn how to yield. It's okay for you to drive. Yeah, what? It's okay that you want to drive a little slower, but don't speed up when someone is going to try to get over. Yield. Don't, don't ruin their entire day. Well, they shouldn't let me ruin their day. Look, we all get our day ruined by people driving sometimes. It takes us 15 minutes or the rest of the day, and we're just angry and stewing about the fact they cut me off. Right? Don't ruin that. Yield. Yield. It's amazing. Uh, my, my son, Christian, and his wife, Jenna, had a destination wedding in Vail, Colorado. And in Vail, they have roundabouts. Have, have you all ever driven on these? They should be outlawed in the United States of America. <laughs> People do not know how to drive in a roundabout. Now, I do, right? I understand that when you're in the middle of the circle, you've got priority. If you're trying to get into the circle, you have to yield to people who are already in the circle. Some of you are going, oh, okay, now I'm understanding it. That's what that little yield sign is for when you're trying to pull in. Listen, but if you don't get it, you don't yield. In life, and especially in the middle of struggles, we have to learn how to yield to God. If you're going to be successful, you're going to have to yield. God, I yield to you. It just works when you say, God, I yield my life to you. I yield this circumstance and situation to you today. My trust today is in you. I yield my family to you. I yield my children to you. I yield my health to you. Listen, I even yield my dreams to you because you're the one that gave me this dream in the first place. 
So I submit my life to you because I trust what your word says about me. Look at what your word, God's word says about you and I today. But the steps of a good man, some of your translations say a righteous man. Who's that talking about? It's talking about children of God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God, if you're ordering my steps to lead me into a storm or through a struggle, I'm good with that because I'm submitted to you. No amens on that? God, I yield my life to you. I submit my life to you today. Listen, if the steps of the greatest man that ever lived, Jesus Christ, led him to a cross, wouldn't it make sense that the steps of you and I are going to lead us through some challenges in our life and some struggles in our life? Why is that? Because God is working on something. You know, there are things in my life from growing up in a big family that I don't deal with that people that grew up as an only child deal with. Because I had to share one bathroom with five siblings. So I learned what it is like to have to hold your breath the entire time you're using the restroom. (laughs) We're going to move on from that. God is working on something in our lives all the time. God brings people into our life. God brings challenges into, or allows challenges, not brings, I'm sorry. He allows them into our life because he's breaking things off of us. Things that are holding us back from being all that God has called us to be. Listen, I find sometimes I don't want to submit to God in the middle of struggle because I either have trust issues or I have control issues. God, I'm really not trusting. Have you abandoned me? Go back to the questions I was saying earlier. God, are you really for me? God, do you, do you really, are you really desiring to bless me? Is your favor really upon me? But I think David in Psalms 30, 23 gives us great insight and understanding of why we can trust God no matter what the situation In Psalms 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you understand today that the Lord is your shepherd? That he's a good shepherd? That he's leading you into green pastures? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Listen, so if you don't have something that you thought you needed in the moment, then you don't need it. Because I have a shepherd who's going to make sure that I have everything that I need. Notice it doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall always get things that I want. There are some things that we want, now, we, that we want that are not good for us. We don't think that because I'm a full-grown adult, I'm mature, but think about how it happens with your kids, when your kids want something that you know is not good for them. So we can trust God, we can yield or trust to the promises of God. And then in verse 5, he says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You realize that God's preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Have you ever noticed during the middle of a struggle or when you're anxious about things, you lose your appetite? Some of you are going, no, (laughs) not at all. I want to eat more. A lot of times, though, when we're going through something or we're anxious about something, we get a little bit of turmoil going on in our stomach. Y'all remember the first date that you went on with maybe your spouse or someone and you really liked them and you got there and you were so excited, so nervous, your stomach was really churning and that churning began to produce other things. And suddenly now you're checking to see how hot it is outside all the time. Oh, how hot's that temperature outside? Or, oh, I've got a hair on my hand, I need to let it go. Or there's a bug in here. That bug would get out. So about four times you're driving, right? That happens when you're dating. Ten years into your marriage, you, don't, you not only don't roll down the windows, you actually lock the windows so your spouse can't roll them up. 
We get anxious. Listen, I would submit to you today that God could give you such peace that even though the enemy is all around you and there's a storm raging around you, he's going to set up a banquet table in front of you. Chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, jalapeno poppers, man, all the things that are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. All this amazing thing that God is setting up in front of you. And you'll have an incredible appetite. Why? Because you're submitted to God. You know that he's going to take care of you. You know that you can trust him. You know that he is for you. And when the storms blow into your life, that is not the time to resist God. That is not the time to run away from God. That is the time to run to him and to submit to him. Say, God, my trust is in you. My confidence is in you. God, I don't know why the storm's happening, but God, I know you're good. So I can rest and trust in you today. I'm gonna invite the worship team, if you would, to come forward. We've got to learn how to put our hope in Jesus Christ. We have to learn how to put our hope in Jesus Christ. Please don't get distracted by people moving around just for a second. Listen to this. We have to learn how to put our hope in Jesus Christ. Because our feelings get so out of whack. Our emotions get so out of whack. We've got to put our hope in him. What is hope? Pam talked about it last week. It's a confident expectation of good. What it means for me is that I know that I've got a hope in the future, that what I'm in right now, I'm not always going to be there. I'm going to come out the other side victorious. I know my God is good. So I have a confident expectation of good. It's knowing that everything that the enemy means for evil, that he tries or brings into your life, God is going to use it for your good. Listen, this is why Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light and momentary troubles... Have you ever noticed when you're going through trouble, it doesn't feel like a light and momentary trouble? But when you understand that Paul is writing this from prison, you begin to understand that he's walked through some things. One time when he's preaching the gospel, they take him out on the edge of the city and they stone him. And again, that's not this stoning, but that's rocks being hurled at him. They stone him, left him for dead. He gets up, goes back into the city and starts preaching. So he can write these light, in momentary afflictions or troubles. Think, think about it this way, parents. When your kids are going through something and they, their, their friend, their, their boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with them and they're devastated. They think the world is coming to an end, but you've walked through that. You've broken up with a few people. You've walked through some things and now you're looking back at that and you're going, look, that's a light and temporary momentary trouble. It doesn't feel like it to the child in the moment and don't act like it isn't anything because it is something to them. But you can step back from it and you can look at it and you can say, that's a light trouble. You're going to make it through this. But our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, God's going to bring glory to himself and good things into your life by the things that you walk through. That's why the first step in our struggle or strategy for struggle is submission. We've got to submit to God. We have to recognize that He's God and we're not. I look across the audience and I'm telling you today, there's a lot of smart people here, every one of you, incredibly smart. But I'm telling you today, compared to God, we don't know anything. He's God and we're not. So we, we submit our lives to Him. And while we may not always understand why the storm is there, we may not understand why the things are happening in our life, we know that our God is good. 
That's why I spend so much time talking to you about the goodness of God. Because I want to give you a why you can recognize God is so good. Because that's what his word says about him. That he's a faithful God. Even when we're unfaithful, the Bible says his word, he remains faithful. Here's why it's so important for us to gain hope. Listen, I, I, I hate watching when the enemy brings storms into people's lives and they begin to drift away from what they know to do. Storm comes up and they just begin to drift away. I watch it in their marriages, in their friendships and relationships, and I watch it sometimes crash against the shore because they simply don't have an anchor. The anchor of hope that God wants us to have. In fact, Pam read this verse earlier from Hebrews 6 says, We have this hope. What's the hope? A confident expectation of good and the goodness of God. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be fearful. Perfect love casts out fear, the Bible says. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worried. Listen, fear and faith are both asking the same thing. They're asking you to believe something that you cannot see exists. We simply have to choose to put our faith in God. So how do we develop an anchor for our soul? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We become like the thing we're beholding. If you're beholding the storm all the time and you're thinking about the problem, you're thinking about the issue, you'll be probably surprised potentially and other people will see in your life those storm things coming on you and suddenly now there's a storm in your soul. But if you'll get your eyes on Jesus, see, we, we've got to get our eyes on our Savior and off of the storm. We've got to get our eyes on the promise and not on the problem. We've got to go to God's word and we've got to stand on God's word. We've got to believe that his word is true and we've got to put our hope in his promises for us. Listen, I'm not promising you it will be easy. Right, I'm not saying that you're not going to have to learn how to wrestle with your emotions and stuff. But you can trust God today. And I'm telling you, these momentary light afflictions, the storms that have come into your life, there's, God's going to teach you some things through them that you don't learn during sunny days. I wish we learned in easy times, but we typically learn more through our challenges than we do through the easy times. Because here's the deal. You're going to go through a storm. I'm not trying to be negative today. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. My apologies to the Debbies. I'm not trying to be negative in any way, but I want you to understand, you're going to go through the storm. Every one of us are. The question is, is how are you going to go through the storm? Are you going to go through the storm worried and anxious and fearful and angry, mad at God, mad at other people, venting to other people? Are you going to go through the storm in peace? Recognizing that Jesus is in the boat with you. And he's given you some promises that in this world you will have trouble. But he goes on to say, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You're an overcomer today that you're going to walk through some things. So you just got to constantly make those adjustments. And if you have a strategy that begins with, God, I submit to you. It's going to create an anchor. Your hope's going to be in God, not in you understanding everything. Your hope's going to be in God, not the other person changing. Your hope's going to be in God, not things out there working suddenly. The real wrestling match is in here. 
that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. You are with us. You will never be alone. Come on, just stand up. Let's sing this song together.